I usually have rules for bands. I'll be like, you know, this is their best album, but this one's my favorite, you know? Hey, everybody. Vince here with Metal Sucks back with the Quarantine cast where we are on quarantine. You are on quarantine. Everyone's on quarantine, including all the musicians that we love. Uh, I guess... We're actually kind of starting to come out of the quarantine, depending on where you live. Bit by bit, fits and starts, things are starting to open up. Whether that's a good idea or not, we can we can get into that, I'm sure. There are many different opinions, but uh, in the meantime, the world is burning. Everything is crazy. It's one of the craziest times to be alive. And uh, we've been hosting some of our favorite mu- musicians to talk about those issues. So uh, today, we have Misha Mansoor. From Periphery, who is joining us from what looks like his home studio. Yep. Yeah. Looking good there. Um, Misha, I, uh, you know, usually I start off these interviews by asking what people have been up to during this crazy time where everybody's sort of, uh, you know, isolated and up to their own devices. But um, I reached out to you about this interview a couple days ago. And since then, you've announced that you're releasing all of the old bulb material which is really oh, yeah. cool. So like, you know, I kind of, in a way, I know at least some of what you've been up to, but, uh, you know, that, I think that's a good place to start. So what was the genesis of, uh, all that stuff? I mean, I, you know, I personally remember hearing it back in the day before periphery or probably very beginning of when periphery was existing that I was getting hip to that stuff. So like what led to, uh, putting that stuff out finally? You know, it's, it's interesting because I never really had a reason to put that stuff out before I'd say that uh, just the nature of everything has changed. Uh, you know that all this stuff's up on this SoundClick site. I mean, you can go listen to it right now. It was just a way of kind of getting it into a place where it's easy to access because people would be like, "Yo, where do you find that stuff?" Like for years, people have been like, "Where do you find that stuff?" And I'd catch people like uh, passing around like Dropbox links, like these little digital mixtapes of these things. And then people would have some views on, or some videos up on YouTube, like a lot of views. I'm like, maybe I should just make this easy to find. So it's just really more to have like one place that like it'll be up on Spotify, iTunes, all that fun stuff. And just kind of do it properly. Also with our label with uh, three dot recordings being a vessel to actually put it out properly and like, you know, being able to do it official and 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 do it in, in kind of a professional manner. It, it all incentivized just getting it all together and uh, and curated. It, it isn't absolutely every single thing off of the SoundClick stuff. I sort of I cut it down to about 108 songs. So like, <laughs> but it, but but that sounds like a lot. But like, don't forget, it is over about like 15 years worth of of just writing, and, and they're not all like complete ideas. They're demos. But I guess you know, I was a bit nervous putting that up, like kind of being like, oh, people are like, oh, I've already heard this or whatever. But actually the response has been really positive because people I think are attached to these songs. Like you said, like you, you heard it on the forums. I think a lot of people heard that stuff back in the day and, and they wanted to have easier access to it. So I'm more so getting questions like, oh, th- you know, this better be on there. Or I really hope this is on there, to which the answer is yes. Like it's all that stuff Everything that you're expecting there, to yeah. be is on there. So um, we're, we, we separated it into 10 volumes. Uh, so that's a bit more digestible. <laughs> and uh, uh, and we're, we're sort of uh, releasing it backwards as a countdown, as it were, because like uh, one, the later stuff sounds better sonically. Like this stuff has, although it's been like sort of mastered by Ermin, uh, who masters all of our stuff, like 
there's only so much you can do with that stuff. I don't have, I can't open those project files or anything. Like it's not re-recorded or anything like that. So the earlier stuff sounds pretty rough, let's be honest. And uh, I figured we'd start with the better sounding stuff, work our way back. And then that could be a sort of effective countdown to like my solo album, which I'm working on right now. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, though, I feel like that early stuff, like, that's, like, the stuff that people want to hear, though, you know, I mean, uh, or, you know, I don't know, I guess I haven't really heard as much of the later stuff, mm-hmm. um, although maybe some of it ended up working its way into periphery in some form yeah, or other, absolutely. but, you know, but, like, the, the early stuff, I feel like, is, you know, especially for fans who came on later board, uh, came on board later, to hear early versions of butter snips and light and stuff like that, you know, like before they were even, yeah, before periphery even existed. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'd say that what you're saying is true for certain people. Uh, I think it's just whatever you heard first will be that era that you, that you like. It spans so many years that like, there's people who got in like right at the beginning and that's the stuff that, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, most of the bands that I love, my favorite album is usually the first thing I've You're heard. You're totally by right. Yeah. Whether I mean, or not it's their best. Yeah. I, I usually have rules for bands. I'll be like, you know, this is their best album, but this one's my favorite, you know? Like, yeah, well, see, that's bullshit <laughs> though, because I mean, like, I feel like your favorite is the best. Like what is, what is the best if not a favorite, the best, you know? The best to me usually means like sort of the most complete, like they're the most mature. Like I can really see that they were firing on all cylinders. Sometimes it is the same, but like, um, I don't know, like, like let's take like Dillinger escape plan. For example, I'd say either calculating or miss machine is, is my favorite because they, emotionally those albums impacted me in a way that's very hard to put into words. But I'd say probably one of us is the killer is their best because that just as an album is it's a phenomenal, perfect album. Uh, And it's very mature. It's like kind of taking on the stuff that they that they uh, developed over the course of their career and really like is firing on all cylinders. So that would be how I would describe it. Uh, We're on a total tangent right now. But (laughs) yeah, no, but I mean, it's an interesting conversation, though, because this is something I talk about a lot is like the album you discover first is your favorite. Yeah, that's just how it is for for all bands, you know, like say Kill Switch Engage for example. Like if you came in on Alive or Just Breathing, that's your favorite. You and know, that's, but it, that's where I came in on, you know, on Kill so, Switch and know, that is my favorite. If you and came a lot of people in, think I'm crazy cuz it's not End of Heartache, but it's right, like, nope, well, Alive or Just Breathing cuz that's what I heard first. Totally. And then there's people who came in with My Curse, the the song, you know, right, and then right, now right. I've already forgotten the name of the album that that was on. Uh, right, right, right. You know, but that's their favorite. Uh, and then there are people who probably came in, you know, I'm sure within the last few years and that's their favorite. So, you know, I like, I kind of always challenge this idea of the best because it like, it ties into this idea of guilty pleasures, you know, where like your favorite or like there's some guilt with enjoying something that's not like artistically yeah. perfect, you know? So, I mean, it's interesting. This is an interesting tangent to go on because yeah. because I think there's something there. I would say that what I call best and favorite is not motivated by guilt, but motivated more by pure sort of reaction or just an understanding that this is what affected me on a purely emotional level. And then best is taking a step back and looking at it sort of a, from a maturity standpoint and a complete – like, okay, let's take another example – uh, Meshuggah, my favorite band ever, Chaosphere. That's my favorite album. That's what I was introduced to, and I know that album inside out. 
But I think Destroy, Erase, and Prove is their best album because they're exploring so much on that album and it has so much to say and it's so perfect. But I have more of an emotional response to Chaos Fear. I mean, see, I think it's all about that emotional response, though. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? Uh, because, like, I think it's in between. When, when you start getting too. into, uh, like, okay, your Meshuggah example, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was, I guess, the most influential is kind of your, your, your defining best as most influential. But with Dillinger, you're defining best as kind of like an amalgam of all the things that made that band that band. So this mm-hmm. definition of best kind of shifts between bands, you know, and it's like, yeah, how do it's, you, it's very subjective. How do you, how do you really, you know, subjective. that's sort of where I'm going. Like, it's all subjective. Art is subjective. Yeah. So, like, why not just say, like, fuck it. The best is the one that I like the most. Because, uh, because I have different criteria. There are sometimes, sometimes it is, it is the, the best. Like... I think with with Opeth, for example, Blackwater Park is my favorite and it is the best, though I'm sure everyone will fight me on that one. But (laughs) but like, you know, there are times where it converges where I'm just like, yep, that's that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to hear. And also it's the, the, the one I'm most emotionally connected to. But it's like one I would say is very much an in the moment reaction. It's like, how do I feel? And then one is sort of taking a step back and looking at it like, okay, let's look at the composition. Like I'm appreciating different things of how this was put together, you know? Um, and, and I think in both of those cases, both Meshuggah and Dillinger, same thing. One of us is the killer and destroyer race improve are put together phenomenally. Like, like I cannot fault how they're put together. And for some X factor, I can't explain. I have more of a reaction to another album, despite the fact that I acknowledge that both of those are the the best albums, in my opinion, of their their catalog. But yeah, we could argue yeah, about there, this. Yeah, album. there's there's no answer. Uh, well, but, what, it, but no guilt. It's nothing about guilt. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Either you like something or you don't like totally. something. You yeah. know, you should never have to uh, apologize for. You know, people would ask me that, and I'd be like, the best I can do is something I would like that I would expect you not to like. Like for example, I would say like. The Midnight or the 1975 maybe would be like something that would surprise you that like I love as much as I love, but they're not guilty. I actively love that. I've never been ashamed of saying that I love the 1975, you know, it's me and like a bunch of like 15 year old girls enjoying the 1975. Nothing, (laughs) nothing wrong with that, man. I mean, there, you know, we've all, we've all got those bands, you know, I think, like you said, it's important to own it. Um, Well, that, that said, what's the best periphery album? Hmm. I w- well, I would say I would say the best one is definitely our last one because we've been perfecting our craft. It's also my my favorite one, but I you know that's that you'll get a bunch of different answers. And generally, I find that people's favorite album of ours is the one that they're in. Like they'll be like, you know, I really love uh, I really love the the last album, and it's great. But nothing's ever going to top Periphery 2 or Juggernaut or Periphery 1 because that's they're like that's the first thing I heard. And I'm like, I get that. I totally right. get that, that. That's what brought them in. So there that's was what something about and, that and album like, that they connected exist. with. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, But for me, you know, being on the inside, uh, it's about the experience. And we had the most fun and, and we were the healthiest as a band. And like the whole experience was just the most positive on, on Periphery 4. Like we've gotten better. Periphery one was insanely stressful. Like I, 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 I remember when we were doing it, I was like, I don't know that I could do another one of these without losing my mind. Periphery two was, was hard, very, very hard for other reasons. Juggernaut was kind of hard too and stressful. And as of periphery three and four, that's where it actually started to become fun to be writing and in a band and doing that kind of stuff. So 
those as experiences really are special to me. Um, and I'm, I think the music is better for it. And I just think we're, we're, we're really just fine tuning our craft right now. We're, we're, we're getting the hang of how to write with each other. So I, I, I think by definition, we'd want our last album to be our best or the one that we feel is our best foot forward or else we would just keep working on it. Um, we took a year off for, for periphery four. And that was actually the biggest thing was like, it wasn't the best. So we just kept working on it until we were like, okay, now, now we feel like this is our best album. Uh, and, and we had such a good experience doing that. We'd never really done that. No deadline, just kind of work on it, work on it, work on it until it's done. Uh, that I think we're just going to continue doing that for the, for future releases. Like we won't put it out until we feel like, nope, this is actually topping the last one for us. Yeah. Well, um, certainly going to have some time to work on yep. that one. <laughs> it, it seems like, uh, you know, so far you've utilized some of that time to, to work on this, you know, collecting this bulb stuff, I guess, and mm-hmm. all the other behind the scenes stuff that goes into releasing something, even if it's, you know, quote unquote, just a bunch of old demos. Um, but you know, it seems like we're going to be here a while and yep. I'm sure you've put thought into this. Uh, how does it affect you as an individual and as a band to be looking say a year into the future and really not have any idea what's going to happen. Well, you know, from the artistic side, it's probably a little frustrating because, um, you know, I love, I love hanging out with the dudes. I love writing with them. That's not, we all live in separate areas. So it's kind of hard to get together and record these days with the, the whole COVID scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, and that and playing shows and, and we had festivals, uh, you, you, know, we you had a tour, festival. right? A European tour. Yeah. It was a festival run, which we haven't yeah. really done in a while. Like, it seems like every time something happens, well, this is the something that happened this time. So we were really looking forward to that. We were going to do a lot of fun Euro festivals and, you know, usually that's followed up by some headlining run or whatever, or maybe a good support tour. There was, there was actually a good support, a really cool support tour that we were, slated to do in the fall but that's not going to happen now so sorry i mean hopefully all these things get rescheduled i think realistically there's probably not going to be any touring till next year at the at the earliest uh especially not in like a major fashion you'll probably get some bands you know effectively being guinea pigs for (laughs) for a lot for the live scene but the uncertainty is just making it very difficult we're in a bit of a catch-22 right now because anyone who's doing who's touring and you know, you know, this industry, the margins are so tight. Like, so if you have any variables that any unknown quantities, then it it can really screw up your planning and your budgeting. So, you know, a question I've been even asking the fans is like, Hey, let's say like tomorrow, just everything's cool. Government's like, yep, guys can go back to shows. We're, We're pretty sure it's fine. You know, just go back and do whatever you want. Like, would you get into a room with a thousand other people? Like, and yeah. mosh and be closer. And I'm like, I don't think I would. I think I would wait like a little bit and just see how that goes. And, you know, it's 50 50 on the fans. If and we I, lose, I feel like, like even people who say they would when it comes down to it, you know, they, they yeah, might be, yeah. they might decide not to or they might be swayed by friends and family, you know, like who Absolutely. knows? Absolutely. And I'd say that, you know, given, given our margin and our margins and how tight they are, uh, if we lost, 20 even maybe 15 or 10 percent of uh, of the people that we were planning on having show up like our budget's done our tour is now losing money so uh 
I think, and a, a lot of bands face these problems. So that's that's the sort of catch twenty two. And not not to mention that a lot of promoters are also unsure on the attendance. So obviously the guarantees, they're like, yeah, we'll put on your show, but your guarantee is half of what it was before. If there so even is a guarantee, I'm hearing that yeah. a lot of promoters are only going to be offering door deals. Yep. And and I get it because it's completely like if you, you're going to tell me how many people are going to show up. I'm like, I have no idea. No one has any idea. Yeah. So a door deal is the only sort of responsible way to do that. But how are you supposed to budget for a tour? So if you're if you're doing a smaller thing, yeah, you, you know, uh, smaller clubs or whatever, I guess. And, and you have lower overhead costs or whatever. Uh, that's fine. But for most bands at our, at our level and anyone has production and like real costs that go into a tour, you can't afford because if if you're wrong, you could be in debt like tens of thousands of dollars, um, and and for what? So you're basically paying like tens of thousands of dollars to play shows. That's that's not acceptable. Breaking even is fine, but you can't be that far in the red off of a tour. Uh, you're supposed to be paying bills with this. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, luckily for us, you know, we're we're at the point where we've pretty much transitioned to where. Uh, and this has been a goal since day one. I, I've, I've evangelized this enough and annoyed enough people saying this, but, you know, don't rely on your band for income. Uh, I, it's become very handy that we've that we've adopted that and we've 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 uh, we've sort of set up for that. So we're OK. You know, we're financially fine. We have our other streams of income, which, you know, knock on wood and, and luckily so far have not really been negatively affected. Um, you know, I know this is this is something you've been very open about, which I yeah. think is great because most bands really aren't open about financial stuff at all. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and there's been even just in the uh, context of this podcast, there's some guys have asked about it and, you know, they've kind of like squirmed a little bit, you know, so can you uh, can you detail kind of some of the stuff you do have going on that, yeah, that brings yeah. in income for both you personally and the band? So, I mean, we, uh, you know, we, we just happen to be fortunate enough to be the kind of band that can tend to push signature models. So we, we pretty much all have signature models. Spencer's the only one who doesn't because it's kind of tough for vocalists. You know, people don't, you don't see signature mics or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but he does a lot of production work on the side. And, uh, he also is probably the one who's able to live off the least amount of money. Like he's not a very demanding person, you know, he's, uh, he, he doesn't care about money like that much. Um, so he's happy. Uh, but the, but the rest of the guys and, and I all have signature products, various signature products, which unfortunately for me, like those have, have taken quite a bit of a hit lately, uh, because they're mostly physical. Like, um, you know, a lot of that stuff has to do with manufacturing operations, stuff like that, logistics. So all that shut down, you know, yeah, the second. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, I have seen a lot that the musical instrument industry is doing well. But I would think that, yeah, the high end kind of signature stuff would not really fall into that category. It's like podcasting well, stuff and beginner guitars and you yeah, know, pedals. It, it depends. It depends parts. because, you know, like the, the, the overseas factories shut down for a while. That was my more my bread and butter. The USA stuff is operating at a fraction of the capacity, um, you know, so like this just the demand is there. It's just can you can you get the stuff out? Can you get it shipped? You know, like that's the problem. It's an operations problem. Um, so I, uh, I have a, I have a pedal company, Horizon Devices, uh, where, you know, we've been solving fulfillment issues this whole time. And that's been I mean, the demand's been there. It's just trying to, like, get the stock and the orders together to customers. But we finally figured that out. Um, uh, also a uh, part owner of uh, GGD, which is a drum software company and software company. And that's been doing great because there, there's no physical product. So, you know, and there's been a lot more demand for that stuff because everyone's home and recording and whatnot. So, um, 
that that that's been that's been doing well um and uh just i mean that's 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 the the the, the majority of the stuff right there there's always the odd the odd thing that'll come through opportunity uh production thing writing thing whatever um and and things like like uh we're still selling i have to thank the periphery fans for buying merch from our merch store because we're still selling merch on the, the online merch store and getting um you know uh we own our own label now so we're getting all the income from the periphery four album and royalties and that's drastically more <laughs> than yeah. it was uh, on our previous deal where we didn't own the label. So <laughs> it's, it's like, as I say, it's like, a, 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 it's not any one thing. It's all these little things just trickling in and, and adding up. And it's, it's a good way to do it too, because it, it protects you in these things. Like for example, if I was just reliant on horizon devices for income, I'd be in trouble right now, but it's okay. Cause I've got GGD, which is a completely different sector and is doing well. And you never know what's going to be. I got lucky. At the end of the day, I just got lucky because there could have been something that happened that completely wiped everything out. And I have a plan. You know, if it all goes to hell, like I know what I'm selling. I can live off of nothing if I have to. I'll sell all the cars, sell all the everything, you know. Right, right. So, right. Uh, you know, and, and just just live a very basic life if I have to. And I think this happening is kind of I've always had that in the back of my mind, but it's shown me how quickly that can happen, you know. So I'm I'm ready if like if it comes down to it I got to sell everything you know I don't actually need very much to survive and I kind of took stock of that and I'm like okay like if that happens it'll suck but I I'll survive I'll be fine yeah you you'll know? survive and you'll be you'll be comfortable uh, you know yeah I I'll, I'll, be, able, I'll yeah. be comfortable I, yeah. I started out with with nothing so it's like I'll just go back to that you know right which is which is certainly more than a lot of people can say right now uh, you know and that's kind of scary like do do you look around at some of your peers in the industry who haven't had the the foresight or the opportunities to diversify their income the way you have and think, Ooh, it's going to be a rough couple of years coming up. Yeah. I, I, I feel bad. I mean, I do see a lot of them getting creative. Like I see a lot more people going on Twitch, doing podcasts, doing whatever they can to sort of monetize their, their time at home. But, um, you know, I think I think the one thing that's always been a bit true, unfortunately so, uh, is there's there's in music business, there's music and there's the business and there's people who really don't focus on that side. Um, and there's certain people who are so talented, they never really need to focus on that side. But then they get sort of hit harder when the business side comes under attack, you know. Um, so it, I think other people have been sort of maybe forced into the direction of sort of diversifying or whatever, because they're kind of like, oh, yeah, like. I don't have the band. I don't have touring anymore. I got bills to pay. Okay, so let me get creative. Uh, but it is unfortunate. It really sucks. It really sucks for and and I'd say the people it sucks for probably the most are the crew. That's that's where it really really is rough because these guys are insanely talented. They work harder than anyone on tour. Uh, our crew are incredible. Uh, everyone that we work with, and these guys are so talented that they will normally. Never. If if they if they aren't doing our tour, there's like six other bands that want them out. They'll be on tour as long. They'll make as much money as they dare make, you know. But that just stopped, and they don't really have anything that they can do, you know. Like the guitar techs will offer, like um, you know, like guitar setups or whatever. But again, people don't want to meet up with people right now. This situation has really screwed them more than anyone else. So they're the ones I really feel the worst for because I can't be like, oh yeah, you know, just get a Twitch stream going. It's a little bit. Right tougher for for that that crowd want to see me Um, hook these cables up like cool right 
Yeah. I mean, like there are probably creative ways to, to, to monetize. It's just a lot tougher because, you know, they're behind the scenes, at least like, you know, I started Twitch streaming and whatever, and it's been a, it's a a receptive audience because it's like, Oh, we can hang out, you know? Right. Um, so, so the crew side, I think got hit the hardest, which is really unfortunate because they also, at, at least in my experience, they are the hardest working people on tour. Like I do nothing compared to how much they work on tour. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah, why they get sure. paid more than we do <laughs> usually. <laughs> and there's there's no end in sight, you know. I mean, it, like I'm looking ahead to a year from now and thinking maybe touring will be back by then, uh, you know. And it's uh, who knows? It might not. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I see some bands doing like um, online shows and like you know some. It's something that we're considering. I see more more bands doing it. You know, I don't know. Yeah, like Maybe, Suicide yeah. Silence is doing this virtual tour where it's going to be geo-gated. You know, your IP has to be within a certain area for you to be able to even buy a ticket. And they, they haven't announced the dates or uh, even the price yet. But, you know, that's something that people are experimenting with. I'm sure you've seen lots of the, the free ones, of course. And, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. There's kind I think of monetizing the, the wild, is the key because these wild, bands wild need to make money. And you hire a crew. You hire cr- it does create opportunity to sort of support a system. I do think people want to support the system if they have a, a, a sort of fair method to do that. So necessity is the mother of invention here. We're going to see some very creative ideas. I didn't know about that, that sort of geotagged idea, but that's very clever. Be yeah. interested to see well, that we'll, works we'll see, right? to, to you know? their advantage or not. But that that's yeah. all we could do. This is all just like testing out and be like, okay, did that work? Did that not work? Let's learn from this, you know? Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, as media for Metal Sucks, like we're in the same boat because our main source of advertising was live music venues, you know? So it's like, fuck, uh, you know, and thankfully we have some other income, but, you know, it's still, it's a big drop. And uh, yeah. You know, so we're experimenting too. Or like, what do we do? Well, we launched this live stream calendar. We'll see if that gets traction. We have some ideas that are kind of germinating that are going to be in the live stream space. Uh, but, you know, it's like you said, we're just all kind of trying to figure it out and, you know, and see what works and kind of like apply a structure. Because there's, there's no structure in the streaming no. Like there, no one's ever done this stuff before. It's brand new for everybody. Yeah, you're basically going to be figuring out what works and what doesn't work. It's trial by fire. I would say like, you know, un- unless you're running like insanely over budget, the consequences are fairly uh, lax. Like you don't need to worry too much about it making a mistake. It's a good time to experiment and, and, and try some of the, the crazier ideas out. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see. I think it will shape sort of the, the, the archetype of how like musicians – will stream and interact and connect with, with fans because I mean, even a larger part of this, this conversation is, um, sort of the psychological and sociological effects of a long term. uh, it's not quarantine, but you know, we're, we're definitely distancing a long term distancing may actually catch on like permanently. Mm. Um, I remember people discussing things like maybe no more handshakes. You look at cultures like, like in Japan, like people don't shake hands as much. They really just bow. It's a lot cleaner if you think about it. And they're always wearing masks everywhere. They're, they, they tend to handle a lot of these, <laughs> these diseases and, and whatever, a lot, a lot more efficiently. And it's a bit of a cultural thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of these things sort of uh, change our, our, our culture a little bit. And if maybe people will be a bit more okay with connecting, uh, uh, via stream or online or whatever, and not relying just on in-person interactions. I don't think it'll be a replacement once 
you know, everything goes back to normal ish. But I wouldn't be surprised if it actually becomes a bigger sector of sort of interaction. Um, if it, it becomes sort of a, a appropriate replacement for in-person interactions, you know? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I've thought about that as well. The sociological long-term effects, you know, of right. what's going to happen. Um, you know, and I think you see it in other ways too. Like you see, for example, people moving out of New York city, you know, yep. what's going to happen? Like, is that going to be permanent? They, are they going to come back? What's going to happen to all those storefronts with the restaurants and so on and so forth. And, you know, I think probably to a lesser extent it's happening in other cities too, but we're talking about one of the biggest cities in the world that, you know, kind of sets an example. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, are you going to have, um, people conducting classes now, uh, for, for schools like remotely, is that going to be more common? Uh, is it going to be more common for people to work from home? I think definitely, uh, definitely. companies are seeing that that is possible. It's not taboo anymore. Uh, I think that's going to cause a major, major shift. Actually. I think that's going to be one of the biggest shifts. Cause if you think about it, it's, it could be a win-win. I mean, there's probably effects I'm not considering and, and whatever, but just on the surface, if you don't have to commute, you get to stay at home, you get to be there more for your family, you spend less on commuting and, and less of your time commuting. Company doesn't have to spend as much on, on uh, office space. Their overhead goes down. I mean, it does seem like on the surface, like it's a bit of a win-win. Who suffers would be commercial real estate, which has been like booming recently. And these these mega cities where so much of it is sort of proximity to your, your workspace. And, you know, think about how much like property values are affected just by proximity to workspace or even proximity to the ability to commute to your workspace effectively, right? Proximity right. to subways and train and whatnot. Sure. or like a highway like all of that may change just by this one thing of like oh i guess they could work from home and it's fine you know <laughs> like, <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's something that's that that's uh that's a whole thing that was just grandfathered in from a pre-internet era where it's like right. well, I no mean, one ever challenged it, it really it ain't know? broke and, why, why fix yeah. it but now we're kind of being forced to 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 try something else against our will and it's like oh that that actually works and maybe in certain cases works more efficiently, you know, consider that both of my companies, um, uh, have one employee each and it's just the owners. We have no offices or anything. You can run very lean companies and it's great for us. We have like very little overhead. Uh, I'm right uh, there with you, never buddy. have That's an office the, space or it's anything. the only way metal sucks has been able to survive for the entire right. existence. That's it right there. If we had office space, uh, full-time employees, like it's simply the math wouldn't work. Right, right, That's exactly. It. So, so you could see a lot of people just sort of transitioning to that. Unfortunately, I think a lot of jobs will go by the wayside as well because anything that that sort of has been determined as non-essential now, uh, a lot of these companies will be like, well, I guess we don't need to to hire them back. So, I think a lot of jobs that have been lost are not going to come back, unfortunately. But you know, not to turn this into a political thing, but this is where I think that uh, Andrew Yang was particularly prescient, <laughs> though unfortunately, uh, it, rather than it being you know five years from now uh, that that every, everyone's jobs get replaced, it was more like five months. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I think that's where the sort of the interesting discussions tend to lead. We don't need to go down that whole path, but like that's you know, long answer long, like kind of where I see things going, whether we, we, we like it or not, because our hand was forced into this and we are exploring this now. And yeah, people working from home, uh, office spaces and commercial real estate changing or disappearing. 
changing the nature of like cities and, and mega cities and, and, and properties and, and the, the metrics that, that are used to value properties will all change. It's going to be really interesting. At least it's not going to be boring, but it's going to be wild. Yeah, for sure. And that's going to have an effect on the market, you know, supply and demand for these spaces. And then, you know, these like property owners are having to pay tax. And does it even work to pay property tax if you're not getting enough? And yeah, it's like a whole it's going to take years, I think, to to really sort this out and, you know, and see sort yeah. of what the new normal is. Well, I think there's a pass on a lot of – I think this is probably a state or a county thing, but like there's like also like zoning for, for commercial stuff. It's technically, I don't know exactly where it is everywhere, but are you allowed to work from home without paying taxes or should you have to pay taxes? Mm. That will get enforced because government wants money for that, rightfully so maybe. But like it's – you know, there's going to be a lot of moving parts here and a lot of stuff to figure out. Um, and and I think a lot of these moves are happening before our our very eyes and there's – Maybe a contingent of people who are like, oh, yeah, but it'll just you know, go back to normal once this is all done, you know, in six months a year. Once we get the vaccine, we'll just just life back to 2019. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, no, I think like a lot of these changes are permanent and or moving in a direction that will be even more extreme as sort of people explore uh, the, the paths that these lead to. So. I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's an it's an interesting time. I, I feel really badly for for the people who are suffering from this because they did nothing wrong. You know, they people who just happen to be in the wrong industry, uh, for, for this kind of, like if you, if you worked your entire life and open, finally opened your own super successful restaurant, you're fucked right now. Yep. And you didn't do anything wrong. You did I got everything a friend who's right. in that boat. It's terrible. You know? And it's like, it's like the, there was no way to prepare for that, which is why I say like, you know, I have in the back of my mind, like, all right, well the next thing that happens, if like I'm fucked, I'm selling all this shit, go live a real simple life. Cause then at least if it's in the back of my mind, then it's not as shocking and terrible if it happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that's how quick it can happen. Yeah, and there's these waves of realization where, you know, you sort of like are able to see whatever, like a week, a month, a season into the future. And then you kind of like slowly the next phase dawns on you. Like, like it, this just happened to me. Like, oh, shit, schools are probably not going to reopen in New York City next fall. Like, what am I going to do for my right. son? You know, like he needs right. an education we need to work. Like, what are we going to do? You know, so we start looking for schools up here where we are now and in Woodstock, New York, and that, you know, there's like these realizations that I think the change is just so catastrophic that you can't process it all at once. Yeah. You need to sort of just compartmentalize and be like, oh, I guess that becomes that. And oh, that's that as well. Wow. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think we were all maybe being a bit op optimistic as sort of the time frame of this it was like, oh, maybe there'll be like a vaccine in a month, you know. Yeah. And of, of course, you know, I'm not a fan of the guy, clearly. But like you have you, that idiot saying things like, uh, you know, we'll have everything open by Easter. And right. it's like, yeah. dude, Come what? On. No, yeah. <laughs> no, we're no, we're not. Yeah. All the smart people say we're not. And then guess what? You know, we're not. So uh, if this lasts like a year or two, like, you know, the schooling things a really interesting thing, too. And I mean, you, you have some insight into that. But like. Yeah, right. You know. So there's like a realization that that you just had, you know, that that doesn't affect your life directly, but indirectly yeah. does, because lots of people cannot go back to work until yeah. their children are in school. Right. That's right. a lot right. of people, you know, so how does but that affect that explains the, the home working at home thing then fits nicely with that. It's like, oh, well, then, you know, it's a little bit easier. My it friend, you cannot work at home with kids at home. 
It ain't oh, really? happening. It's 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 just <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so I'm like, yeah. I don't know, I don't know. So that's actually good to know because I would have thought that that would make it a little easier. But I could see how that could, yeah, no, it's just you from well, with, anywhere done. I'll, I'll say with young children, like older children, you can, but you know, like young yeah. children, it's just they just need too much, you know. They just, of course. you know, so uh, yeah, it's just like, and and you know, surely that somehow bleeds into your world, maybe just in the shop owners near where you are, or people you work with at, you know, a three dot, your management, so on and so forth. Like, yeah. you know, like all these people are, are kind of in this boat together. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's wherever you look, there's ripple effects. Like even with our management, you know, like they're a very successful management agency. They have a lot of massive bands and that doesn't even matter. They're, they're hurting because it's, it's not like the big bands got to pass. They all stop touring. So like it's rough for everybody right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. You see uh, a lot of venues are closing yeah. and like uh, and of course they are like well, like right. they don't even have like a point in time that they can plan like, oh, well, if we could just weather the next year. It's like, no, that might not be enough to do it, you know, and they you know, we all know like like everything in this industry is like the margins are so razor thin. So it's like even if they open up they're getting 50% of the shows they were getting before, they probably can't afford to stay, stay open, you know? Right. It's, it's, uh, I think a lot, unfortunately, I think like a lot of the smaller venues and, and mom and pop owned businesses are going to be the first ones to go. Cause they don't have the sort of weight and, and, and money of the, the, the larger conglomerates to sort of hold over. Well, that, one thing that I'm hopeful for, uh, with venues in particular and really any physical business is that if they're forced to close, they're like, who's going to move in, <laughs> right? So like, no, like I don't, you know, where, where's the landlord going to find another tenant? So I would hope that the venue would be able to work out a deal to stay, you know, because yeah. of just of, of, of all the expense of moving and of the landlord finding somebody new and then the rent being low, like who knows, you know, to work out some kind of deal like in a year or whatever, six months, we're going to resume where we were, you know, or, or reevaluate or so on and so forth. You know, I'm hoping because I don't really see another option, you know, for either party. Yeah, it's I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Like, I, I think I heard like the Troubadour in, in L.A. is going to close, you know, and like that's that's wild. Yeah. Like that well, certainly been... temporarily, I think there's going to be a lot of closures. And, and also, yeah, I think there will be some permanent ones too. place like the Troubadour. Maybe has been around a while. Owner decides. I don't know that this is the case. I'm just speculating yeah. you know like owner decides like yeah it's been a good run like screw it you know we're done yeah, yeah. uh you know but i would think for some segment of businesses that are not over it so to speak there will be an effort i hope maybe this is just wishful thinking to kind of try yeah. and work something out there with their landlords but again just speculation here no one but knows. you may, you raise a good point of like what else would move in and like part of me is like yeah but then part of me is also like is that like a sector of commercial real estate that just disappears and becomes like, it's like nobody needs a venue space anymore, right, you know, yeah. like you don't need, if you're going to rent a space, like maybe they convert it to like four other spaces or something, but it's like venue spaces are very strange things when right. you think about them. Or like what, turn what, it into apartments own. maybe, you know, yeah. like, you know maybe, who knows? Well, that's, the, that's the move, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but, but again, what I'm, what I'm saying is apartments, are very desirable because you can fit a lot of people close to sort of commercial centers right. uh, and generate a lot of income with very little space. But if those commercial centers and working from home is more of a thing, you may actually value being further out and having more space 
for example, for you, you know, uh, maybe maybe you, your kids are home and you're working from home, but you build your own little office area so you can get away from it and actually get to work. And for that, you need space. An right. apartment wouldn't cut it. It'd be interesting to see what happens, you know, what's the fate of apartments in all of this. Yeah, man. Uh, I, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. You're totally on the money. Yeah. But, it, but I mean, this is all this is all just stuff that that I've been thinking about lately because, you know, it, it was like you said, that realization at first it was like, yeah, you know, it's this sucks, but we'll kind of get over it. Like, let's start planning for, our, you know, for when things go back to normal. And I'm like now I'm, I'm kind of like I don't know what normal will be anymore. And, you know, I, I guess it doesn't hurt to think about it, but it is all just speculation. I could be way off. Yeah, um, we're all we're all just speculating here, and we and we could for hours probably. Yeah. Um, yep. But uh, w- one more thing to wrap up. Uh, you know, we we got to talk about what's going on in the country right now, as mm. far as Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I think it's very important uh, that really everybody is talking about this. So you know, I'll kind of just leave it open to you uh, to to say really whatever you want about what's going on right now. Um, and and for those listening, watching this, the date of recording of this is June. 4th, 2020, I believe. So uh, if this episode comes out next week and things have drastically changed, we apologize. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm definitely on the side that I, I can't relate personally, but I understand the frustration. I understand why there are protests and it's such a, it's such a dark subject. Like it's that when you, when you look into, to what's causing the frustration, um, all the cases, all the sort of abuse of power. And, and, and I, I would argue that it's probably systemic at this, at this point with not just the cops, but the government and, and laws that were instituted right after uh, civil rights to sort of keep black people down. They're like, uh, you know, the way I've been sort of seeing it is it's like, okay, so, so civil rights was winning the battle, but they're going to win the war. Because we'll just loop we'll loophole our way into you know uh, you look at uh, private prisons and uh, or for profit yeah. prisons and it's basically it effectively works out to slave labor and they they then you realize wow they've carefully found ways to just make sure that mostly black people are in here so now you have black people working for what like thirty cents an hour making uh, making products for corporations and it's like oh, okay so you figured out slave labor and a legal way to do it in a way that's behind the scenes so that we can all sleep at night and think it's not happening I understand the frustration um, I think where where I have a, a tougher time is the, uh, the 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 writing and the looting especially uh, I don't have a hard stance on that because I don't know entirely how I feel. I'm open to both sides. I've had discussions with people on both sides and I don't have an answer there. So I can just say, I don't know, but my instinct is my instinct is I don't like that because, because I feel like the grand majority of people are peacefully protesting. Um, and, um, it, it sort of blends in. You get people being like, Oh, well, you know, those peaceful protesters, are the ones looting and the ones causing the chaos. And I, I don't think that's the case. And I think that, that the, the peaceful protesters, um, I mean, I suppose they're the ones that are doing it right. I don't, I don't think looting is accomplishing anything. And I think it makes the peaceful protesters look worse, but it's a nuanced issue. I don't think there's any one sentence. I don't even think I could fully express how I feel about it even just now. And it's something where I don't know. I don't know enough. 
Well, well, here's here's my thought on that particular yeah. issue. Since you know, I think it's important, especially right now, that people feel comfortable expressing. You know, just having conversations. Um, I tend to agree with you for the most part on that, with with regards to the looting. That it, you know, certainly it makes pe- peaceful protesters look bad, but there there's a few things. Uh, I mean, like I, I've been saying, I don't condone it, but I understand it. I understand yep. people are angry, uh, you know, and that's the language of the the unheard. Uh, you know, they have tried everything for decades, centuries, and no one is listening. Yeah. And you know what? Looting gets attention. It gets yep. attention. And in that regard, it works, which kind of ties into my second point, which is if you look historically in America at uh, at when there has been looting and rioting before, it does accomplish results, yeah. uh, you know, and it's really you 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 can't disagree with that because that is the history. So, you know, like I said, I don't condone it. Uh, I wouldn't participate in it, but I understand it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can agree with that. Generally, that is the argument that that I've heard that puts me at an I don't know. Because then also the other side is you have the opportunists and what they find is a lot of the people looting aren't even from the area. So they're like, oh, there's there's protests going on. It'll probably escalate. And when it does, we're just going to take advantage of stuff and steal. Well, I think there's something to look at there, though. I I think sometimes those are that's a line put out there by the authorities that isn't necessarily true. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I, again, I don't know is the answer. And yeah. uh, if that's the case, then that's unfortunate. Also, I see a lot of, you know, I, I, I guess if there were a hierarchy to looting, if I see like a Nordstrom's or, you know, a larger corporation getting looted, yes, I probably yeah. feel less bad about that than some of the mom and pop shops I've seen, you know, like local pharmacies, local shops. Uh, in some cases, they say they're 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 owned by black people, which is just like that's that's just insult to injury for those people then. And again, I don't feel like I'm in a great place to comment because I've led a charmed life. I haven't had to face uh, racial adversity despite being brown. It just it's just not something that I've had to really face. So I I don't know. I don't relate. All I could do is try to empathize. And it sounds fucking horrible. Uh, but I don't have personal firsthand experience, so I don't have that that firsthand anger, and I and I don't have the context to quite explain it. So I don't know is the best that I can do for some of of these things. Um, yeah. But That's I do fair. know the things I'm not okay with. The thing you know, like um, you know, I think this fundamental under, uh, misunderstanding with with Black Lives Matter, you know, with the all lives matter thing is is it's sort of uh dismissing the fact that there's a problem and that you know because what we want is equality, equality of outcome. The scenarios are not equal, so you can't have equal treatment there and there should be there should be we should be striving for equality of outcome uh in my opinion. And yeah, black people are not being treated equally or fairly and and I think I think the frustration comes from the fact that this has always been the case, but we just have cameras now. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's the that you know, the the uh, the charitable side of my of my brain wants to think that a lot of people want to dismiss it because of how horrible it is. Like for that to be true and for that to have been true, how could you sleep at night? You know. Right. So when I see a lot of people being against it. 
I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, their reason for pushing back is because the reality of that would actually destroy them on some level. And they would have to challenge their own identity, really, you know, to, to accept that most likely a lot of what they've been able to accomplish in quotes in their life yeah. is, is a result not so much of their effort or actual accomplishment but you know something they were given at birth yeah well i mean and this is something i mean this ties back a little bit to to what i talk about with the band but people are always like how do you get your band out there how do you get success with your companies i'm like dude do you know how much of this is luck and when i say luck i mean like circumstance like i didn't choose to be born who i was i didn't choose to have the personality and the talents that I have. I was just born the way that I was and I had certain inclinations and whatever. That's entirely by chance there. So chance ended up favoring me so far. Maybe it won't in the future, but like so far it's been generally good to me. But that's that chance is also just the, the design of the system and black people have very poor luck and very poor chance by design of a system that's designed to, to, to keep them down. So... That's that's what needs to be addressed. And that sucks to think about because you don't want nobody wants that. To, or I, I don't know nobody, but I'd, I'd imagine most people do not want that to be the case. Uh, and when they do say, you know, well, I, you know, I, I uh, I'm fine. Or like they use a, an anecdotal quote of like, you know, some black person who rose through adversity and became successful. It's sort of being like, OK, well, no, the problem it's like almost easier to be like, oh, they're they're all lazy and they just need to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and work harder. Because then that legitimizes their own lives and they can use these anecdotal situations of black people doing it to be like, you see, it's just that they didn't work hard enough. They just didn't want it enough. And it's like, no, it's a systemic issue. Like this is this is something that needs to be addressed. And the reality of that sucks to think about and it sucks to talk about and it's not pleasant. So it's just kind of easier to just sleep at night being like, no, like it was just I worked really hard. That's what it was, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's the that's the problem. So that's sort of my charitable uh, side, being like, I don't think that that the that that most people who are, who are going on the the other side of the argument are bad people. I think it's just sort of how they're processing it or how they're choosing to process it. Maybe just for self self preservation. Yeah, and and how they've been taught to process it, it certainly plays a sure. factor. But you know, I think uh, thankfully, I think. Right now, we're seeing a lot more people come to that realization, uh, I think, just because of, you know, people they see and people they know also coming to the realization. Like, you know, the other day, you saw two guys from Five Finger Death Punch who, you know, whose bread and butter is like red state rock, you know, saying Black Lives Matter. And, you know, even a year ago, you just could have never imagined that, you know. So, like, I think, I hope anyway, like, kind of in the way that gay marriage and uh, uh, marijuana legalization sort of took hold very quickly uh, and spread throughout sort of mainstream discourse. Hopefully, there's some kind of effect like that here. Obviously, it's a way bigger issue, I think, but, uh, you know, with a much deeply rooted historical context in it. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I am seeing, I think, more of a, a wide scale awareness. Well, I, I'd also say just from personal experience, I, you know, I, I have a lot of conservative friends and and most of them are what I would call sort of reasonable conservative. They just have conservative values. And, and but but we have conversations. We have interesting and fun conversations because, you know, I'm left of center. They're right of center. So there's a lot of daylight. There's there's a lot to talk about. And we may not agree, but I, I think effectively we want the same things. So I don't think any of those people uh, would would have an issue with the with the with the Black Lives Matter movement or even 
argue that the about the the the, the problems necessarily. They they may argue about sort of what needs to be done about it. Uh, they they may have a different approach to fixing it. But generally, it's sort of, in my experience, it's sort of accepted that the problems are the same. We're not arguing about the, the what 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 caused this. Uh, at least not generally, but you have this split among the right, at least one split, but maybe more, but you know, where it goes, goes further and further right. And that's where it tends to be like more of like, Oh, this is, this is just, you know, black people being lazy or, or God knows what, I, I don't know all their, their arguments. Uh, it, it, that's where it starts to be less reasonable, less plausible, uh, and more sort of, uh, rhetorical, but, um, you know, that that's where there's less conversation to be had because, you know, logic and reason aren't really like entering that conversation. And I don't think they want to have their mind changed. As I said, like there's a lot of this stuff I don't know. So if you come to me with a good argument, I might change my mind about it. I'd be like, OK, I never actually thought of it that way. That's really interesting. OK, so maybe that that, that sounds right. I'm open to being wrong about this stuff. Yeah, um, I think you have to be. Everyone has to. Yeah, has to be. But right when now. you tend to be on the extremes, whether it's the left or the right, that's where you sort of – it's sort of identity politics territory where it's just like, well, this is – I have to toe the party line. This is what we believe. I don't know entirely why I believe this, uh, but this is what I believe. This is just what feels right. So you're not really open to having another perspective. And so there's no, com there's no conversation worth having there because you're just going to shout your talking points at each other and then walk away none the wiser yeah. and just a bit more angry. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, that you know, I, I think it's important that we work on the people who are close, but, you know, need a little bit of pulling to kind of get them there. Yeah. Like for, for me personally, that's been with my parents, you know, like lifelong yeah. Democrats, like marched in the 60s, you know, all that. But, you know, just need to go that little bit extra more to see the whole picture of what's going on, just because they've lived their whole life a certain way. And they just haven't really been forced to reckon with it. Yeah, and it's probably pretty jarring. Like I said, like I, I think a lot of this, and and this may just be being a little too charitable. I hope it's not, but it's just the 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 nature of having sort of the 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 reality exposed to you may be a bit much to process. It may be something that takes time to process, has to be done in stages, because just a lot to take in. And it's like you don't want to live in the world where that was the truth. You don't want that to be the truth. And it's very, it's, it's a lot to sort of wrap your, your, your head around, especially the longer that you've been around believing a certain thing. So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discredit anyone who's just having a little bit of uh, trouble adjusting to it. As long as they're, they're, they're slowly adjusting to, to some of the realities that are here. And even for myself, a lot of these things, yeah, I was going to say, like yeah, painful like, I'm, to, I'm right like there too. To you know, I'm, I'm seeing videos on Twitter every day and just like, holy and you're just like, shit. Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah. I don't, I don't want this stuff to be true. I, I want to find a thing where that, that's fake or like, the, like, cause I thought I lived in a better world. Uh, but you know, I also have the side of me where it's like the sort of, um, the the, the the entirely holistic view where it's like, oh, well, generally speaking, life is really good and we have less poverty and less whatever. But we're just so much more aware. You know, that's the that's the the the, the curse of the, the Internet and connection. You know, we have extreme connection and too much connection, too much data to process. A lot of a lot of um, uh, psychologists say that it's literally trauma to your brain to receive as much like your brain perceives all this information as trauma because it's just not ready to receive that much information. If our brains were designed to know about like our immediate surrandings and like right, 100 right. 150 people and that's it. And like, you know, 
you'd know about the stuff going on in your local area and stuff happening on a global scale and that was it. Uh, and now you know everything that's happening everywhere at all times and you can go down that rabbit hole and I do find it very difficult and depressing at times because it makes it seem like the, the, the suffering is almost the worst it's ever been but then the data seems to suggest that it's getting better. So it's just a lot of emotions in a lot of different directions and I'm just trying to reconcile everything as best as I can. Yeah, that's all we can do. Uh, well, it seems like a good place to wrap up. Misha, always good talking to you. I feel like we, yeah, we did too, some man. good stuff there. That was good. Got in the unexpected tangent about... Uh, yeah, we didn't talk about music very much. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. guys. <laughs> well, that, well, you know, that, that's the point of this particular podcast series, uh, you know, and I, I've been trying to keep it on the brief side. This one certainly was not brief, but it not was all brief. very important Sorry. stuff to talk about. So thank you for joining us uh, and uh, be well, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Ben.